0: A special welcome again to you if you're with us for the first time. Uh, My name's Ollie. I'm the pastor of our young adults here. It's just uh, a great encouragement to be together. We had a big potluck dinner on Wednesday night. That was so cool. We had 10 visitors come and just to get to know and and to share hospitality together. So that was a lot of fun. Also really encouraged to see the boys up tonight. Last week we had the girls leading us. Uh, Tonight's been all the boys. So that's been awesome. And just grateful that you guys are here on a long weekend and and ready to hear from God's Word. Uh, But I want to ask you a question. What killed the cat? Curiosity. Curiosity killed the cat. You know, I disagree. Uh, I think what was more likely to have killed the cat was uh, familiarity. Familiarity. Too comfortable, too complacent to recognize the danger that was coming. Familiarity. This is what Paul Tripp says about familiar, uh, familiarity. He says, When we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often when we are familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we are familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. Have we become familiar with God? no longer in awe and, and wonder at His glory and His goodness. You know, my struggle as a pastor is that I can quite easily become a professional Christian. Uh, I know, or I think I do uh, the right things to say, the right things to do. Uh, but if I become so familiar with this, it can so easily just become a job. And I just do it, you know, you just do the right things. I forget that I'm following the living and the God who is alive and He is there. You know what familiarity does is, we heard it before, it robs us of our wonder, our worship. But what it can also do is it actually can stop us realizing how simple we are before God. And then it can stop us realizing how good is God's grace to rescue us. And then what can happen is, if we just become so familiar with this, is that we end up just having a faith that is just routine. And not a relationship and a delight and an awe with the living God, this is what the danger is according to John Ortberg. He says this, for many, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. You know, I don't want to live a mediocre life. But the irony is, is how could any life be mediocre when we've been invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe, the God of all glory, yet we become so familiar with this that we just kind of accept it and not wonder at it. And that's why Isaiah is so relevant for us. And I believe God is speaking to me and I hope to all of us as we see with fresh eyes the glory of God revealed to Isaiah and the nation of Judah and Jerusalem. We're going to be spending the next four weeks just looking at the first 12 chapters, looking at some high points. Uh, And we don't often like, maybe we're afraid of kind of going to the Old Testament. Um, It can be kind of uncertain. Uh, But I hope for us that we're going to discover this life-giving, timeless words for us. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet or a messenger of God uh, about 700 years before Jesus. Uh, He has these messages from God, these oracles, and they're kind of recorded in the book. And they're filled with judgment. That can be pretty confronting for us. But they're also filled with a lot of invitation and hope. And we can't read the New Testament without actually looking at Isaiah because so much of the New Testament quotes and points back to these promises of the Old Testament, these promises that we see in Isaiah. Uh, So why study Isaiah? Isaiah. Uh, this is my hope for us in this series, is that we will get a new, a renewed perspective as we see who God really is, but also as we see our human nature. We'll put it in perspective, our sinfulness, and also in perspective, God's grace and how beautiful that is. My hope is that we'll have a deeper understanding as we, we piece the, together the Old and the New Testament together. As we're going to see these beautiful prophecies of Christ Uh, And thirdly, my hope for us is that we will be encouraged. Uh, So much of Isaiah's promises of future justice and restoration and and hope. As we look at the uncertainty of events around us, we can have this hope of of a promise of a future. So that's my hope as we get into this. And so uh, we need the Lord to speak to us and we need the Lord to give us clarity. Isaiah can be pretty confusing as we kind of Uh, dive into these waters. So let's invite God to speak to us. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we want to praise you. And we just, as we've been singing before, uh, that you love the world so much that you would send your son. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, We thank you for that blessed assurance that we can find in you. And Lord, I pray that as we read your word tonight, that you would again assure us of who you are that we would see more fully your glory, your greatness. But Lord, as Isaiah uh, packs a bit of a punch and a sting as he pronounces judgment, I pray, Lord, for conviction of your Holy Spirit that if there's areas of our lives that don't line up with your will for our lives and for our flourishing and for your glory, I pray, Lord, that you would bring uh, conviction and repentance, but that we would see all the more clearly your your love and your mercy and your invitation towards us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So chapter 1, verse 1, a bit of background, a bit of context I'm going to do, uh, and then we're going to look at some warnings and invitations. But chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The vision concerning Judah, Jerusalem, uh, that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings, of Judah. Uh, what's going on here is a bit of like an Age of Empires vibe. Did anyone play that game? Yeah, thanks. Great game. But I've put up a map here to kind of explain uh, what's going on. Is there's a bunch of empires at the time. Uh, you might recognize Assyria, Babylon. Uh, down the bottom here is Egypt. And in the middle of all this kind of great empires, you see uh, Jerusalem. This is where the kind of all of Israel, the blue there became the northern kingdom because it split in two, and the, the southern part became Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, and so what's happening at the time is that there's all this kind of back and forth by these empires, uh, and, and Israel is kind of smack in the middle of all that. And so Isaiah's speaking during all this different empire action, and and what we get is a uh, some kings. You see, what happened with Israel is that out of Egypt they'd come. They'd been rescued from slavery. And God said, you would be my people. They would be a nation. They were in the promised land. This, that was the promised land we saw. But then the people were like, no, we don't want God to be our ruler. We want our own king, just like all the other nations. And so what God allows that. So you have these group of kings, good and bad, mostly failures. And you see, during the time of these kings, this kingdom split in two. So you have Israel at the top. Judah at the bottom. Uh, That's important to know. And so what we then get is Isaiah speaking during this time of the kings. And he's speaking during the four out of the last five before they're all kicked out of the promised land and taken over by Babylon into slavery. It's called the exile. You might recognize those words. And so what you get, four kings. I'll go really quickly. Uzziah, his reign was about 50 years. You got a thumbs up. He had a good reign. Lots of good stuff happened. Prosperity, good times but cracks kind of... Actually, why it happened was actually because Assyria and the empires were fighting each other. And so kind of Israel in the background was like, sweet, we're just going to have our own good time. Uh, but then you get Jotham. Jotham was kind of insignificant. He didn't really do anything. Uh, the next king was Ahaz. Ahaz was not a good king. What Ahaz did was thought... They, he saw Assyria kind of getting stronger... He also, the cracks kind of started to form in his own country of Judah, as with prosperity often comes a lot of injustice and greed and imbalance. And what Ahaz is, he's wanting this more kind of greed and power status, is he looks at Assyria as really strong, and so he's like, I'm going to try and be an ally to them. And so what he does is he sends them this money to pay to their gods as tribute, as a kind of concession. So he's trying to buddy up to them. But by the end of his reign, Assyria is so dominant, they've literally wiped out Israel. And so at this point, Israel's just kind of gone. And Judah is the only lasting people of God. And Ahaz is just like, well, I'm just going to keep kind of trusting Assyria. I'm not sure. But he then dies and Hezekiah comes along. And Hezekiah is good to start with. He tries to turn back to God. And if you read through Isaiah, you see him mention a whole lot. But what happens is Assyria comes down, this empire comes down. They've wiped out Israel. Uh, and they actually lay siege to Jerusalem. So if you know what a siege is, they're around these walls. The army comes. They can't get in, but they also, the, the people of God can't get out and they can't get provisions. So they're just starving themselves. And Hezekiah is good for a while, but then he actually turns bad. That's why I've got a face palm there. And he tries to buddy up to Egypt and he fails in the end. Uh, so it's just a bit of context for you. As we're reading this prophecy, I've taken a bit of time tonight so that over the next few weeks, you've got this in mind too. But three things I pointed out there. Political turmoil, unrest, internal injustices, and their attempts to align themselves with the world around them and not to God. So Isaiah speaks into this. God has not been blind to it. God has not forgotten them. And what we see, Isaiah 1 verse 2, Hear, you heavens, listen, listen. Earth for the Lord has spoken. It's like an alarm clock going off or a building alarm somewhere. I don't know if you heard that before. It's like an alarm going off saying, Wake up! Wake up! God has not ignored this. He's actually speaking to them. He's speaking to them like an alarm. And what we're going to see is, is a variety of warnings of judgment, but also these beautiful invitations. And the sad reality is, is that Judah, Isaiah is going to speak judgment. He's going to speak hope and invitation. And they're going to ignore it. And they're ultimately going to face God's judgment as they're exiled into Babylon. This is the progression. But as we kind of jump into this and we see these judgments and we see these invitations, because of Jesus and because of his Holy Spirit, we actually can listen to these words and come and be restored to God. The hope is that the fate of Israel does not need to be our So we're going to see some warnings and we're going to see some invitations as we look at chapters 1 and 2. Warnings and invitations. Uh, So turn with me to chapter 1, verse 2 again. Warning number 1, forgotten God. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up. In other words, these were my people, my children. I raised them. You can imagine your children sitting at the back of church making a lot of noise like you love them you raised them but they have rebelled against me the ox knows its master the donkey its own manager but Israel does not know my people do not understand woe to the sinful nation a people whose guilt is great a brood of evildoers children to, given to corruption they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One. In other words, they spat in his face and turned their backs on him. You see, God's, the pain in his voice is like, You're my children, and you've turned your backs on me. And this is what happens when we become so familiar with God, as the Israelites had. They've just kind of gone asleep. They've turned their backs on God. They've forgotten that he made them, they've forgotten that he's rescued them, and they turn their backs on him. And so, too, what happens when we sin is actually we're forgetful. We forget that God loves us. We forget that God made us. We forget that God rules us and he rules us with with goodness and life and yet we turn our backs on him and we say we want to live our own way. And so maybe as we become familiar with God, the danger is is that we've turned our backs on him and we're sinning. We're rebelling against him. But the tragedy is, is that it says they've turned their backs on him. But the Israelites were very, very religious people the people in Judah did all this wonderful Christian, faithful, godly things. And yet their backs were, backs were turned against them. Look at verse 11. We see the second warning of fake religion. Verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you, even when you offer many prayers. I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. This is this tragic? The people of Israel, they're doing the sacrifices. They're doing all the good festivals. They're doing all these wonderful offerings and prayers, and yet God is saying it's meaningless. Their backs were towards Him. They had rebelled, and yet they were doing all the good stuff. And here's the warning for us as we get so familiar with God that we just go through the motions. And we forget, and it just becomes meaningless. It just becomes routine. It's just words. It's just breath. This should be warning bells for us. A familiarity is that it can become a fake religion. Then the third warning, false hopes. If you turn with me to chapter 2 now, uh, verse 6. I uh, remember the context, like uh, Ahaz is, they're building up all this wealth, and they're trying to, to get power from the other countries. And Isaiah says to them in verse 6, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. They got a lot of stuff. They're very wealthy. Then verse 8, their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. See, the tragedy for the people of Judah was that they had They had thought that they had all this stuff, that they were all good. They were prosperous. You know, in the time of Uzziah, they had all this wealth and treasure and horses. And they thought they kind of had power because they were making, you know, alliances with these other people. But Isaiah says, The Lord has abandoned you. Isn't that tragic? And the danger for us is that we put our, our hopes in these false things. And we think we're all good when actually God has left us. This is the warning for us to wake us up out of our familiarity. You know, it, uh, Judah would ignore this. They would ignore the warnings from Isaiah and judgment would come. Actually, uh, Isaiah compares them to a prostitute. They'd, they'd kind of, they were once faithful, but then they'd sold out. They totally sold out on him. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She was once full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. I mean, what an how, how bad is that when like diluted wine. Imagine like a Penfolds Grange, beautiful wine, and you just mix it all with water and then serve it to someone. Like that's a terrible, terrible indictment on them. Verse 24, Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. He's talking about Jerusalem. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. God's justice and judgment would come upon them for their unfaithfulness. You know, God is so full of love and he is so full of patience. But his patience will not last forever. Just as a parent who doesn't discipline their children, so too a God is not good unless he brings justice to evil. And we see here for Judah, they're going to face judgment for turning their backs on him. And this can be kind of uncomfortable. Maybe you're with us here tonight. You're not a Christian and, you know, you hear judgment. But this is the warning from God's word is that God is patience; He's patient. But if you turn your back on him, he says there will be judgment. And so the alarm clock is ringing. is saying, are you aware that our familiarity, our complacency, that w- when we become blind to the glory of God, have we become familiar too familiar with God, that we don't realize our sin, that we've we've turned our backs on Him. Have we become so familiar with God that, you know, we're just used to this routine of worship? But actually, I missed a little bit there of judgment on the people. If you go back to their fake religion, uh, in chapter 16, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, "'Wash and make yourselves clean.'" Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Please th- plead the case for the widow. You see, what happens when we become so familiar with the glory of God is that we become so cold to the injustice around us. That's what happened to Israel. They were doing all this religious stuff, but they neglected the poor. And the warning for us too is that Our hearts can be out of alignment with God if we're just so comfortable. We're not actually, our hearts can go cold to injustice. It's a big challenge for us and a warning for us. You know, these these warnings can hurt. They can bite. But you know, the pain response in our body is actually good because it stops us from destroying ourselves. The same way we sometimes need a bit of a, a pinch to wake us up. To who God is. But what you'll see, and some people think that the God of the Old Testament is full of judgment, and the God of the Old and the New Testament is full of grace. But what you see is the more as you study God's word, is time and time again, He is full of mercy. And so I want you to see, though dark is the judgment and the indictment and the criticism of Judah, so beautiful is his mercy and his love extended towards them because let's take a look back and I want you to see the invitations we're going to wake up out of familiarity and I'm struggling with this too we need those warnings but what we also need to hear is the invitation from God as God says come he says come look at these amazing words chapter 1 verse 18 come now Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You see this invitation from God to the people of Israel. You've turned your backs on me. And he says, come back. Come and receive mercy. Come and receive grace. And he's going to promise in chapter 53 of Isaiah is the servant who says all the sin would be laid on him. And so that our sin could be wiped away. And so Jesus cries out to us and he invites us to have our sins forgiven. This is so important. Ned's okay. It's okay. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) Listen to the... I mean, some of you guys I know are feeling that shame of, my hands are stained. I'm full of shame. I've turned my back on God, and God is saying, "I will wash it clean." And in Jesus, we can claim this promise that on the cross He took the penalty that we deserved, so that our blood stain could be removed, and we could be made clean and invited into relationship. So God says, "Come, come and receive mercy." So if you're getting familiar with God, don't be like, "Oh man, I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to do better." hear from God is first he says, come and receive my mercy. He doesn't cry out with judgment and they're, they're warnings to us, but then he says, come, come and receive mercy. And the next invitation he says, come and walk in the light. I want to read to you from chapter two. We, uh, McKenna read it for us before. But let me l- listen to these words again, this promise of hope. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, the weapons used for war would be turned into tools used for, for agriculture and cultivating. Come, descendants of Jacob, he says, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He says, Come. I love the reading. (laughs) All right, come back with me. Come back with me. So what I'm saying here is, where he says, come and walk in the light of the Lord. He's saying, come and walk in the reality of the future of peace and hope. This is our reality. This is our hope. Uh, Do you know the feeling of uh, falling asleep or resisting sleep? Uh, Maybe it's a boring sermon. Never get that here. Uh, maybe you're uh, driving on the road and you know, you're trying to keep your eyes open. Maybe you're uh, in a movie. I know for my wife, that's a struggle. She'll fall asleep. You're struggling to try and keep your eyes open. Sometimes our familiarity is like that. We're just kind of lulling into this sleep state. And sometimes we need a poke to wake us up. But also sometimes what can help is we turn the light on and we see in full view. When we have this perspective of future hope and the restoration, the peace of God, we can actually awaken out of our slumber, out of our familiarity. We actually look to the hope and the restoration that God's going to make all things right, that there will be peace. This could be hard because I know for many of us we can feel paralyzed by maybe an addiction to sin or paralyzed by a chronic illness or a mental illness. We're just so deeply struggling that we can kind of just go dull. But as we turn on the light and we look to the future that God is pointing us towards, that He's going to make all things new again, we can awaken out of our familiarity and again see God. And the last invitation is come and encounter the splendor of the living God. I want to take you to the end of chapter 2, verse 10. This is a beautiful part of Scripture but it's kind of frightening too because what you get is three times he he uses the same uh, picture. Three times he describes the people running and hiding. Why? It says, for the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. Again in verse 19, the people flee to the caves from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. In verse 21, from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. Majesty. But you see, every time they encounter the glory of God, they see with fresh eyes the presence of God. Suddenly their sin is put in perspective. Look at this, verse 11. Firstly, the glory of God confronts their pride. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, and the humble brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. As they see the glory of God... Suddenly, our own human pride, as we puff ourselves up, it's like, what are you doing? You think you're something? Look at God. And suddenly, we just realize our arrogance. We just humble ourselves. We humble before Him. Next, we're confronted by our idols. Verse 20, In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they've made to worship. Again, they've encountered the glory of God and His presence. Suddenly, Their idols are like, what were we thinking? And they throw it away. And so too for us, if we were to look at the glory of God, all those things that we're chasing after to give us meaning, chasing after that relationship or chasing after status or career or that perfect house, whatever we're making an idol of, as we look at the glory of God, it's like, why are we we so consumed by that? It's worthless. And lastly, we confront our trust in human effort. It ends this chapter. Chapter 2 says, Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? It's the challenge for the people of Judah as they're trying to trust in different human authorities to kind of rescue them. And it's this political play. And same for us. Maybe we're hoping in some kind of political movement or or certain ideas to bring about life and and hopefulness. And and as we see the glory of God in his presence, and, and I know this takes faith because we can't see him in his fullness now, Yet we have the faith to believe that God has created everything, that life itself is a miracle given to us. And as we again realize as God has revealed to us in His Word and what He's done to raise Jesus from the dead and ascend to heaven in all glory and fill us with His Holy Spirit and power. As we put God in perspective, we realize how futile it is for us to try and trust in human power. I mean, we can kind of laugh at how the kind of Christian nationalism in America—we thought all our hope is in President Trump—but you know, we do the same kind of stuff. We we put our hope in in ideas or, or fashions or, or or ways of doing things, or our comfort. This kind of human perspective, yet where God is calling us to a vision of His glory, it puts it all in perspective. It's like. Uh, Often in the night, if I was to try to walk from the bathroom back to the bedroom in the dark through the hallway, I know there's a pram there somewhere and a a bag on the floor and a picture on the wall and a toy probably somewhere ready to stab me in the foot. Um, And I'm trying to just kind of feel my way through in the dark and hoping to get there without waking the kids or Meg. But when you turn on the light, suddenly everything is in perspective and you see for what it really is. And again, for the people of Judah, God is, uh, Isaiah is like, turn on the light, see God's glory, and suddenly all these things, they're just put in perspective. Their pride, their idols, their false trust. And so for us, we need these warnings and these invitations to confront this familiarity. Where we become so complacent, so used to God talking about, you know, we sing those things before but we just kind of say it. And I'm talking about myself here. And maybe these warning bells are ringing for you. Maybe you know you're in sin and you've turned your back on God. Or maybe you're feeling that, that sense of, man, I'm doing all this religious stuff, but it's empty. Or you know that you're putting your hope in, in, in false things. We need this invitation from God As Isaiah beautifully calls out to the people, they ignored it, we can hear it. He says, come and receive his mercy. Come and receive his goodness. Come and walk in the light of the hope of eternal life and come and see his glory again. We're going to look at that further next week with chapter 6 as Isaiah actually enters into the throne room of God. That's going to be really exciting. Uh, So come back next week. But it's important for us to see God's glory here. And I need this. I, I really need this. I, I, again, I said it before. I become very good at doing this religious stuff, talking from the front. But I want to know God. I want to see Him. I want to love Him. I want to worship Him. I want to put Him in perspective. Do we believe it? Have we become so familiar with it? I wonder if you need that vision shift tonight. That we wouldn't just do this, but that we would encounter the living God, uh, to finish, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 12. I think this is really helpful. Uh, Hebrews is this beautiful book, uh, just le- just so full of Old Testament promises fulfilled. Uh, but in chapter 12, it pictures this mountain, the Mount Sinai, where the glory of the Lord came down and where Moses received the law, right? And it says this in verse 20, God's glory on this mountain, it says, if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses says, I'm trembling with fear. See, Moses had the privilege of seeing God in his fullness, and he's trembling. And if anyone was to touch that mountain, pff, they would die. And the promise of the Christian is that we're actually invited. God receives us because of Jesus. And Hebrews is just all about that. We can draw near because the blood of Jesus has been spilled. And then it says this in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I mean, do you realize that the consuming fire and the glory and the splendor of God he says, you've received this kingdom. So what's our response? He's like, 1st be thankful. Thank you, Jesus, that you would rescue me, that you forgive me. So our response must be gratitude. Must be so deeply, deeply thankful to him. I know we're not all expressive and, and uh, extroverts, but I hope deep in your being that you know the living God and are so thankful to him. And you just burn with gratitude. And then he says, and so let's worship him with reverence and awe for his glory. Let's put him in perspective. Let's behold him. We're going to sing a song to finish tonight. As we behold him in his holiness. And let's really in our hearts try and sing this in faith as we put things in perspective. I mean, what, it is, what is it for you? What is God saying to you that you need to put in perspective of His glory and His majesty? So as we come through Isaiah over the next few weeks, I'm hoping that we're going to get this bit of a wake up. I want this. Let's wake up. Let's wake up to His glory and His greatness. Let's put things in perspective that we would behold Him, that we would see Him. Do you want that? Thanks, Beck. Thanks, <laughs> Beck. Let's seek after him and remember, he says, come. That invitation, come and receive his mercy. Yeah. Come, he's inviting you in. He's inviting you to see him. So let's not be proud about this. Let's humble ourselves. Yeah. Let's fall on our knees before him and, and thank him for his grace towards us. Let's sing, let's stand together. Let me pray as we, as we come to sing. Our Lord God, we thank you so much for your mercy that even though, like Judah, we are equally guilty of, of, of turning our backs on you, of hypocrisy, of putting our hope in wrong things. And I just want to make mention as well, Lord, uh, I don't think I've talked about it enough tonight, just the injustice as well that we can be blind to and that uh, Judah was blind to the way that they treated the poor. Just pray, Lord, that we would not be so familiar with you God that we would be cold towards your heart for justice and and for those in need so Lord please lead us but thank you that your invitation is not condemnation but invitation to repentance and in faith Lord you receive us and we receive your mercy and your forgiveness thank you Lord Jesus Lord I pray for those here tonight who they know that they're in this place of familiarity and complacency that's me lord and i just pray your forgiveness lord will please humble me humble us before you that we would see more clearly who you are see more clearly how beautiful is your forgiveness and your restoration for us god we want to see you we want to behold you we want to worship you and not just in this place but also as we go lord that you would be at front and center of our minds, that the concerns of this world which just pale in comparison to your glory and your goodness. Please help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.